a fairly lengthy but um, exciting passage from John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would anoint every heart here, that we would receive what you want us to receive today and that it would actually change the way that we live and the way that we interact and the way that we move in this world for it is in you that we live and move and have our being in Jesus name amen turn to someone nearby and say five husbands really 
Wow. She must have been from Hollywood. <laughs> or Nashville. Okay, that's enough. I'll preach now. I love dialogue. I, I, I love dialogue. You, you learn a lot more in dialogue than you do uh, from monologues, quite frankly. Uh, and dialogue opens a far broader worldview when people are actually talking to each other. We have lost the capability of dialoguing in this, in this country, in this culture. The evening news has taught us to yell at people. That's what's happened. And so we yell at people. We yell at people that, that aren't saying what we're saying. And we don't listen anymore. We don't really. And when we talk to God, we talk to God, at God. We talk at God rather than have a dialogue because that's what we've become accustomed to is just talking and shutting out what's coming back the other way. But I love dialogue, and Jesus loved dialogue. And I love this picture. Uh, those of you who haven't been to Africa, which is most of you, uh, this feels so right, and I think it's so much closer to what the actual scene would have been than the kind of pictures that we, that we normally see. Uh, in Africa, they know how to dialogue, by the way. They, they really do. So... Uh, before I get started, I'd also want to say one word about baptism, because this starts out by saying that the Pharisees learned that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though in fact it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. And we, uh, next week is, we, we have baptisms next week, by the way, so if anybody needs to be baptized, wants to be baptized, talk to somebody on the staff, talk to one of the elders, or you can talk to the people out at the Welcome Center, we'll... We'll, we'll arrange for that because if you know Christ and haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. But we do things a little bit different here. There is no absolute formula for baptism. When I first started preaching, uh, when I first started, yeah, preaching here in Smyrna, I would oftentimes have people come to me and before, you know, they come and they visit and go, Pastor, I really enjoyed the service, but thinking about coming to your church, but I got to ask you a question. How do you baptize? With water? <laughs> no, no, I mean, what's the formula you use? What are the words that you say? You, you dunk them, you, you spill, you, what, what do you do? What do you want me to do? Because it's not about that. It's about this. And, and the reason, last year we had a lot of baptisms, and I, I did very few of them, and the reason why uh, is because I see that as a biblical pattern. I see, I, I don't see you know, a, the bab, you know, except for John, I don't see the baptizer because of Jesus had his disciples baptized. And it doesn't say that Peter, James, and John, the big three, did the baptizing. No, I think, I think they all did. And in fact, if you think about the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got added to the church that day. I don't think there were just two or three people doing the baptizing. You know, if all 120 in the upper room did it, they, they'd each have 25, 25. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've got it written in my notes. I did that. Okay. Uh, that's how the sausage is made. Uh, <laughs> and so anyway, uh, if you want to be baptized, next week's a good time to do it. Let's get into this. Uh, I want to start out with talking about a word about people who make us feel uncomfortable. 
Jesus asked the woman for a drink of water, and she said, you're a Jew. I'm, I'm a Samaritan, and I'm a woman. What, what are you doing talking to me? What, 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 what is this that you're, that you're talking about? And, you know, when we were singing that song earlier today, and I said, you know, God might ask you to do something. Get ready, because that's where we're going. Jesus broke at least three major cultural t- taboos in this, in this encounter. One of them was a gender taboo because uh, it wasn't polite, it wasn't proper for, um, for you to talk to someone of the opposite gender if they were not a member of your family. And I wonder who came up with that. You know, when I was a, when I was a little kid, I... Uh, I don't remember when I first heard the word etiquette. I think it had something to do with eating. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure that it did. It was directed at me. Uh, and, you know, and I always wondered, who, made this, who makes this stuff up? Now, I'm not saying that, that manners aren't important. Yeah, they're, they're, they're good. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't some maybe cultural conventions that are important. But... This thing here that said, you know, man can't talk to a woman, it's not in here anywhere. And, and I'm not talking about my, my, my iPad. I mean, the Bible, it's not in here. I can't find it in there. That's something man made up. And there are all kinds of things that man makes up that look good on the surface, but I, it's real important to, to draw a real clear distinction between what God said and what man said. Really, it's because sometimes it just, creates, it just creates walls. It just creates barriers that God never intended to be there. And so Jesus comes along, and he, and, he, and he asks this woman for a drink. And uh, gender was one of, the, one of the taboos that he broke. Another one was a racial, racial taboo. Uh, the Samaritans were particularly disgusting, if you will, to the Jews, because not only were they not actually Jews, but they were claiming to worship God. They were claiming to worship the Lord. And so they, they, they were kind of laying claim to, to Jewish things and Jewish heritage. And yet at the same time, these people, these, these people were brought over here by the Assyrians to take the place of the real Jews when they were, when they were deported from this country. And uh, you know, who do you think you are? Yeah. And so they were definitely looked down on. Now, I want to touch on the racial thing for just a minute because I would hope that we're past this, and in a lot of ways we are in this country. Probably 20 years ago, maybe 20, uh, I don't know. Those of you who've been here long enough probably remember that uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I preached a sermon one Sunday over there in that building about, uh, about racism. And... Uh, Boy, it was an interesting Sunday. Uh, we, had, uh, we had a different congregation the next week, and I got some, some interesting letters that week. But th- this is, you know, God, we've, we've, made, we've made a lot of advances in the last 20 years, and we tend to think of this as a, as a black and white issue, and that's one of the areas where we've made some really good advances. But I don't know that it's so much a black and white issue in our country anymore <coughs> As other races, <clears throat> uh, I'm thinking Arab, 
maybe. You know, you see uh, someone who's obviously dressed in that type of, of gear. Do you, do, you, uh, do you have a tendency to sort of go, mm? Yeah, you do. Do you have a tendency to kind of have a little thing maybe in the pit of your stomach that sort of goes, I wonder what he's up to. Wonder what she, is he on my flight? And it's not really even, even just that. Virtually, you know, a, a lot of cultures there are, you know, there are a lot of areas of, of, uh, of Nashville and really even Rutherford County that are very heavily Hispanic. And I would dare say that some of you who ain't very heavily Hispanic, 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 whatever, you know, sometimes words just come out funny, feel uncomfortable in those areas. Kind of feel like maybe you're in a different country. Well, put yourself in a different country. I mean, put yourself in a different country. And you're there and you don't know a lot of people and maybe you don't really know a lot of the culture and you don't maybe know a lot of the language and people are looking at you like, I wonder what he's up to. People are walking down the other side of the street and think what it would mean for somebody to just show some love. Just, just smile at you. Just talk to you. And not act like there was something wrong with you. And one of the things that the Lord has really uh, kind of touched me about, there's, there's a gal, and, and you know, I'm not trying to single anybody out. I, I don't even know her name, but there's a gal over at Publix who works and she wears the, the hijab, the, the, the Muslim head covering. And, uh, you know, I, I'll just be honest. For months, I would go in there and kind of go, hmm, I wonder what's up with her. And especially when you see, you know, an obviously European woman wearing that, you kind of go, I'm just being honest here. You know? And a few months ago, the Lord, especially with this gal, because she's not obviously European, I imagine she's an immigrant, you know, the Lord really said to me, uh, would it kill you to smile at her? Would it kill you to say hello and just act like she's a human being? See the humanity that's there inside of her? I have a friend, well, let me, let me just say one other thing, especially when we're talking about the, the Arab thing here, oftentimes there's fear or being in parts of town that aren't your people. You know, oftentimes there's fear, but you do know that Paul said to Timothy, the spirit that God has given us doesn't, is not a spirit of timidity. Uh, in the King James, it says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline or sound mind. Yes. I have a friend named Harry, Harry Raleigh who just taught me so much. He, he doesn't even know that he did, but one of the things is Harry could talk to anybody. And he taught me the secret of starting a conversation. The secret is, if your name happens to be Harry Raleigh, hi, I'm Harry Raleigh. So if you know your name, 
you can start a conversation. You actually can. And you've just shared something important with that other person. And you'd be surprised. We are so uptight in this culture. You'd be surprised how many times you'd go up to somebody and go, Hi, I'm Ronnie Meek. And you are? Yeah. The third one that he uh, broke through was a social uh, taboo. Respectable women did not sneak out to draw water at noon. Uh, see, when the Bible tells us what time it is, usually there's a reason. Because this is a clue. Um, you go, well, noon, that sounds like a perfectly good time to go draw water. It's hot at noon in this, in this environment, in this, in this culture. And so what would happen is, uh, uh, you know, since water is so light and easy to carry, the women would be the ones responsible for going to get the water. It, and, and they would usually go out first thing in the morning when it was still kind of cool, and then they'd go out in the cool of the evening. Noon is when you went out there if you wanted to go when nobody else was there. And this woman had five husbands. And the man she was now living with was not her husband and might be the husband of one of the gals who would be out there drawing water. And so, obviously, she wasn't the type of person that religious people tended to hang around or wanted to rub shoulders with. But that also meant that she was the type of person that Jesus Christ came to save. Everyone is someone created in God's image. Uh, Three years ago, maybe four, but I think it was three years ago, we did a a play uh, called Boys Next Door. And... It was wonderful. Most of you didn't see it. It was great. But anyway, the, the best thing that has ever happened in a play that I've been in happened in that one. And, and I've mentioned it before, but it, it fits here. Tony Emberton, uh, Emberton came up to, uh, to Arwen. She was directing it afterwards and said, you know, after I saw that play, because the play was about four adult men with special needs who lived in a group home. And it's funny and it's moving and it's touching. And he said, you know, I saw that play. And God just started dealing with me. He said, there's this guy who walks by our house, walks up and down our street every day. And he's obviously very different. And every time he walks up and down the street, I, be, I, I, I make a point of being sure that I'm doing something else where I, I don't necessarily have to look at him or interact with him. Oh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. And he said, after I went to see that play, God just said, he's a human being. And so... The next day, he was walking down the street, and I went up and started a conversation with him. Found out, yeah, he really is different, but it was was good. It was good. I told him, hey, come. Come uh, stop by anytime. (sighs) Socially, there's so many people that we exclude from our sphere of influence because they're just not the right ones. And, and I want to read, I want to read one, more, one more quote here. This is a C.S. Lewis quote that I've read before, but it just fits. It's so important. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, but it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. 
depending on the direction that they're going. This doesn't mean that we're supposed to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. And our charity must be real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love. And, you know, some of you are probably thinking, okay, well, now you're, you're a preacher. You know, you, you, you have an easy time talking to people. You're, uh, you're wired one way. I'm wired another. Listen, everybody's afraid. Old people are afraid of young people. Just letting you all know. Young people are afraid of old people. And everybody who isn't one of those can't figure out which one they're in, so they're just afraid of everybody anyway. (laughs) They're in the middle, they're scared of young people and old people both. It takes the grace of God in our lives to do something. You say, you know, but I'm, I'm just not wired that way. I'm not. Spirit, lead me where my trust will know no borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may guide me. Dangerous prayer. Okay, let's get, now I'll start preaching. The offer is living water. If you were to meet God in your everyday life, what do you think he would, he would, he would say to you? I mean, for the most part, I think we probably think he would have a really good stinging rebuke ready for us because we know ourselves well enough to know where we deserve one. You know, and, and we just kind of feel like he'd come along and go, Jim, you better quit that, boy. But you know what? I don't think he'd say that. I mean, you know, yeah, he could put his finger right on it, but the truth of the matter is he's had his finger right on it for years and you had not done anything about it yet. I'll start preaching later. I'm, I'm still having fun. And I think he'd probably ask for something very mundane. Something that on the surface seems to be... Something that on the surface just seems to be, why that? But it... See, God's requests are deceptively simple. But they set us up for a big payback. Uh, Naaman, um, would you go dip seven times in the Jordan River and just do that? Be healed of leprosy. That? That's so simple. You can't do that. Uh, the widow of Zarephath, would you just, just make me a little, a little loaf of bread first. Just, just a little one. You know, and you get to eat for the next three years. A woman at the well, would you give me a drink of water? It's so, it's so simple and that we won't do it because it's so simple. It doesn't seem spiritual enough. It doesn't seem like this is, this is what God would ask me to do. Yes, that's what he asked you to do. It's deeper than what you think it is. 
you know, it, it, it is. And she, <laughs> I love it, because we, we tend to take things just on that, on, that, on that natural level. Once we do engage with God, we default to the natural. But what God is addressing is something far beyond the natural. And it happens often in John's gospel. Destroy this temple, and in three days' time, I'll raise it again. It took 46 years to build this temple. That's not what he's talking about. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, and anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Yeah, well, why did we have that service for Burt King this last week? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something deeper. Get... If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me, and, and I'd give you living water, and you'd, you'd never have to thirst again. Really? When I was a kid, I used to read that passage and think, boy, that'd be good. Because you know, when I was a kid, we, we, uh, we, did, we had this thing that kids did. Uh, I don't think they get to do it anymore. It was called outside. <laughs> and, 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 and we would you know, we'd go outside, and we would move our bodies. And, uh, and, and water would pour, co start coming out of our head and, and places, and, and our clothes would get all wet and everything. It was, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, that was, that was back in the day. And, our, and you haven't, I mean, you really haven't lived till you've played like 18 innings of backyard baseball and then gone, let's go get a drink of water out of hose, hose pipe. You turn that hose pipe on and... You know, you have to wait a little while because that first couple of gallons, you can make tea and that stuff. But, but once it, you know, once it gets a little cooler, you get a, ooh, boy, yeah. And I'd read that passage of Scripture and I'd go, wow, would that be so great to, to never be thirsty. You know, just, just have that. And that, you know, and that's what the woman is thinking. And I, and, I, and I love the line where she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Woman, you're talking to Clark Kent here. This is... <laughs> This is God you're talking to. What do you mean greater than Jacob? Of course you are. <laughs> ah, the offer was water that one could drink and never thirst again. It's too good to pass up. Eternal life's too good to pass up too. Never die. Yeah. And then, and then uh, Jesus uses a word of, of knowledge. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 speaks of one of the gifts of the Spirit being a word of, of knowledge. And Jesus receives such a word here. Go and call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. In fact, the truth is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. Oh, what you just said was true. Don't you just hate it when God tricks you into saying something true? Seriously, I, it, it happens, and then we go, he just nailed you. It's because God knows what's going on in your life. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And yet, you're here. And think about that for just a minute, because you're not here because you desire him so much. You're here because he desires you. Nobody gets up and goes, you know, I'm going to go 
Be a Christian now. Now, God has been wooing you. He's been drawing you. He's been bringing you in. And, and even after it all comes together, you know, you don't, you don't come to worship God because you just think that's a great idea. You come to worship God because he's wooing you and he's bringing you and he's drawing you. He wants you. There's nobody sitting in here that he doesn't want. I, I, I promise you that. And yet he knows he knows. He knows what you did. He knows what you'd like to do. He knows what you've been thinking. And so Jesus, you know, reads her mail, very hurrying along here, and, and, and then she, she parries him, you know, with issues. Once she discovers, I've got a prophet here, let's argue religion. Our fathers say the place to worship is on this mountain, but you Jews say we got to go to Jerusalem to do that. Now, which is it, huh? You're a prophet. You know? And the truth of the matter is, when we encounter God, when we, when we meet up with God, we would anything, religion, politics, the weather, entertainment, technology, the neighbors, anything but my core issues. Anything to deflect what you're trying to change in my life. We know that Jesus Christ did not come into the world to start a religion. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We know it's a relationship, not a religion, but we argue it anyway. Seriously. Well, I didn't like the way they did that. I don't know if that's exactly right. You know, you go to that church and they, they dance and then they do the communion thing and the pastor doesn't have a tie and... Old guy leads worship. It's a. Yeah. And they just, you know, when they show a politician, they make him look funny and, and things like that. I don't know about that. It's not about any of that. It's not about any of this. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ and whether or not you're going to live or die. Whether or not you'll spend eternity separated from God or close to God. And, and guess what? It's, eternity starts now. In fact, it started a long time ago. But as we were saying a couple of weeks ago, heaven has a way of, of, of moving in both directions in our life. So does hell. So she brings up, she parries the issue. We're, all of these things pale in comparison to what is real. And, 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 and I just got to say this, and I know I hit it often, but as unimportant as religion is, politics is even less important. I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, uh, but we've been lured into thinking that somehow who we vote for or where we stand on a certain issue has something to do with whether or not we belong to Christ. You know, did, did, does God know that? Seriously. You know, I mean, and we genuinely think, well, they can't be a Christian because they vote that way or they believe this or they believe that. Do you, do you hear how ridiculous that sounds? None of those things. None of those things are things that God is particularly important about, significant with. And, and at least her question created an opening where Jesus could 
guide her to where she was going to. Now, let me, let me say this. Those who are out there, and by out there I mean those who are not in the kingdom, they may have some questions about religion and stuff that need to be addressed. But they, so I'm not saying you should never answer them. But what I'm saying is that's not, you can, you can answer every question they have about religion and never lead them to Christ. And the point is leading them to Christ. And so, once again, flesh gives birth to flesh. Only spirit can give birth to spirit. And whenever, whenever, wherever, however, by whatever means, the Holy Spirit combines with, with God's word, with truth in a person's life, something beyond our understanding takes place and happens. So the reveal comes because Jesus won't argue with you. But he said, look, woman, it's, it's not about this mountain. It's not about Jerusalem. It's about those who will worship God in spirit and in truth. And then she goes, then, then finally she, she realizes, ah, I know something. I know some truth. I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Bingo. That's where we're going. You just hit on the thing that's important. I who speak to you am he. And this woman, this woman who had had five husbands, this woman who was living with a man that wasn't her husband, this woman who was sneaking out of, out of town at noon to go draw water becomes, a, becomes an evangelist. And before that day is over, she's led an entire town to Christ. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Not a man who answered my questions about religion. Not, 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 a, you know, not, not even a man who treated me like a human being, which is, that was rare enough for him, but someone who knows me. And, and when the people of the town came out and met him, they, they finally turned to her and said, you know, we no longer believe because of what you said. We've heard him for ourselves now. He knows me too. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Mm. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to pray with people come down? And let me just say this because I, you know, I don't, I I know that there are people here who, who are wrestling with this, who are struggling with this. And who are going to try to forget this sermon as quickly as they possibly can? Because they go, I just can't talk to people. I just can't. That's not who I am. This is not for me. And the truth of the matter is, there. Uh, yes, you may be more reserved than some others, but Satan has put a bondage on you. He's, he is, he's, he's got you enslaved in, in some fear. And it's not just affecting your ability for the kingdom. It's affecting your whole life. And God wants to set you free. He'd like to break that bondage. He'd like to break those chains. You say, but this is who I am. No, no. Who you are is free. God, God created you to be free. And so, you know, if that that just hit home, then you're one of the people who needs to come down here.
and pray. Uh, you just are. If you need to know Christ as your Savior, we'd love to introduce you to Him. If you've got financial needs, need wisdom, healed relationship, whatever, the altar is open. If you don't need to come, worship with us, sing with us for a while, create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to work. I've been captured by love I can't explain. Now you have me, and I'm forever changed. I've abandoned everything I've ever known. I surrendered, my life is not you nearly as much as God does. He wants to use you to change the world. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent His Son into the world so that we might have freedom. May that freedom break every bondage in your life. May it lift the yoke of slavery off of you. 
may you may you shine with his glory attracting others to his kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord